Colossians 3, 1 to 4, from the Common English Bible. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, look for the things that are above, where God, where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. Think about the things above, and think and not on things of the earth. You died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Good morning. My name is Megan. I'm the teaching pastor here at Trinity, and we're going to do something a little bit different this morning before we reflect together on this passage. Um, I'd like us to try together a practice that Christians call Lectio Divina, um, which is basically a practice of opening ourselves and listening through the Bible as if it were a window to hear what God might be saying to us personally today, um, since God is always speaking. Um, So what I'm going to do is just read through the same passage that Grant just read twice pretty slowly and just invite you to make space um, to listen to whatever God might be saying to you. Um, So the first time through, just listen for a word or a phrase that kind of grabs your attention or rises to the surface. And then the second time, listen for what God might be speaking to you through that word or phrase. Therefore... If you were raised with Christ, look for the things that are above, where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. Think about the things above, and not things on earth. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, if you are raised with Christ, look for the things that are above, where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. Think about the things above, and not things on earth. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Let's pray. Spirit of God, continue to speak because we are listening. Amen. 
I had a moment of um, sermon regret early this morning where I, I thought about, I, I decided this week as I was writing this sermon, I was going to tell you the honest truth about how my week went. And then this morning I was like, am I really going to tell them this? But I'm going to tell you because it's too late to rethink my whole sermon. Now, last weekend I, I started reading this book and one of the chapters of the book was describing um, just kind of how things are going in the nonprofit world. And, and the author of the book mentioned that charities estimate it costs approximately $3,000 to save someone's life. $3,000 is the basic cost that if, if you want someone who would otherwise like die of disease in childhood to live a full life, that's what it costs. And I saw this number and I just thought to myself, this cannot possibly be true. Like you assume there is some number that it would cost out there, right? Like, but I, I, had, I didn't know that we had quantified it, I had no idea, and I would have guessed it was much, much higher. And so I went out and I was like, I've got to confirm this. And I went looking around, digging on some websites that I trust, including GiveWell, that is a, a charity rater. And sure enough, there it was on their website. They said the best estimates are it costs somewhere between $3,000 and $5,000 to save someone's life. And I, I just couldn't wrap my head around this. Like all week, this number has just been haunting me. Like, what does it mean that the number is that low? And what does it mean that I now know what the number is? Like, this just kind of hooked in my head and it couldn't get out. But something else was going on this week. I was also working this week on trying to plan a vacation for summer. And, you know, the, the plans I was putting together just didn't work. And I entered this, what I might call a bit of an emotional spiral. Like, I was just so mad. I was mad at the world. I was mad at life. Like, why don't things work out? Why is the world so unjust and unfair? And then I started feeling envious of everyone else that things seemed to be working out for. And I, I was in this deep spiral. And by Monday afternoon, I was sitting in my room, and I was trying to pray. And I was literally, like, crying tears of frustration about my vacation. And there's this voice in the back of my head that is just, like, screaming $3,000 to save a life, Megan. Like, I'm crying about my vacation. This voice is screaming, $3,000 to save a life. And I can't even, like, feel that fact because my emotions are so preoccupied with me. Now, the world is really screwed up, you guys. Like, it cost $3,000 to save a life, and Jeff Bezos made $75 billion last year. That's messed up but it costs $3,000 to save a life, and the week that I learned that fact, I spent Monday crying over my vacation. The world is really screwed up. I found myself thinking about this verse from Romans chapter six. This is one of the more well-known verses in the Bible, um, where Paul says this in Romans 6.23. He says, the wages that sin pays are death, but God's gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is not saying here is that bad people deserve to be punished, and that's what God has come to do. What Paul is saying here is that there's only one thing, place that sin ends. Sin is a disease, and it leads one of two ways, to fast death or to slow death but the only place that sin ever ends is death. 
And what's funny about, uh, about this is like, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we take on faith, but this is the one thing that is just like an empirical fact that anybody with eyes and a brain can go out in the world and discover. Right? Our, our pathological preoccupation with us, with ourselves, with our tribe, costs lives in the real world. The evidence is all over the place. You can just go out and pick it up. Now, we've seen that according to Paul in Colossians, this isn't just like an individual problem we're having, that there are also these larger, what we might call powers with a capital P that are at work in the world that profit off of our preoccupation with ourselves and that are constantly kind of driving us along and feeding this and giving us pushes farther and farther into death and destruction. Like, we have this pathological preoccupation. The powers are, like, pushing us deeper and deeper. This is the state of the world. But Paul says, hey, there's good news, because there is a God who loves the world and who hates death and who isn't willing to let, see us go all the way under. So, so watching this kind of chaos that is unfolding, like, God has entered the world as one of us, as a person named Jesus, who has all of the same human hallmarks we have except for one, he doesn't suffer from that toxic self-preoccupation. So he has come into the world, you know, his, his innocence, his failure to be self-preoccupied didn't save him because the death that human sin has unleashed, it hits everybody, innocent or not, right? So, so he died the same death that is inevitable for everybody, but the only difference is because he is God and not just human, death can't hold him. The powers could claim him, but they couldn't hold him. So eventually he walks back out of the grave and he has the powers and handcuffs when he does it. That's the good news of the gospel. So, so Paul makes this kind of funny statement in, in verse 3 of chapter 3. Paul says to the Colossians, You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I think if, if I were the people in Colossae, I, this would strike me as a bit of a strange phrase. You know, if I died, I think I would have noticed. I, I once rode a motorcycle sideways downhill at 60 miles an hour. I've almost died, and that's the kind of thing that, like, sticks with you. So, so when did I die? Well, Paul talks about this a lot in different ones of his letters. Um, in Colossians 2, just the passage we read last week, he says this. You were buried with Jesus through baptism and were raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. This comes up again in the book of Romans, among other places. Paul says in Romans 6, Don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in the newness of life. When Paul says to the Colossians, you died, what he's referring to here is clearly their baptism. I mean, there might come at some point in your life, there might come a moment where you look around at the messed up world and you think to yourself, I'm done. I'm done with this screwed up world. I'm done with the role that I'm playing in screwing everything up, with sin, with death, with my part to play in it. I'm finished. And if that moment ever comes to you, Jesus actually gave us something to do. The thing we do, he says, is we're baptized. 
Or to put it another way, if you hit that moment in your life where you're like, I'm done with this whole screwed up thing, Jesus offers you an option of what to do, and what he says to do is come die with me. Like, I don't know how often we realize this is what we're doing, but every time we have a baptism, when someone goes in the water, we're holding a funeral. When you choose to be baptized, you're choosing the time and the date of your own funeral. I'm it's sort of like, baptism is kind of like an outward symbol of an inward change that's happening, where you come among the community and you say, I'm finished, I'm finished with the old world, I'm finished with my old self, and you say goodbye to all of that. You grab onto Jesus and you go underwater and you let all of it go. You let it die. And what emerges on the other side is something new like a a brand new possibility of life. Now, if if you want to know what this looks like specifically, in Romans 6, Paul is talking about baptism, and he really gets more into like the nitty-gritty of what does this mean. And he basically says there, there are three things that happen when you make that move of dying with Christ and then rising. There, There are three kind of concrete things that happen. Um, Number one, uh, we've said that all of us in the world, we have this infection called sin. We've all got this disease. But you know what happens when you die? Is the disease you have dies too. This is what Paul says in Romans 6. This is what we know. The person we used to be was crucified with Jesus in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who's died has been freed from sin's power. When you die, the disease dies too. And when you rise, you come back infection-free. That's thing number one that occurs in baptism. In dying, the infection dies. Um, number two, Paul has been concerned about all of these, these powers in the world, these, these forces that are kind of driving us toward darkness. And, you know, the thing about death is that when you die, the powers lose their grip on you. I like to think of this sort of like the federal student loan system. Um, I don't know how many of you remember the horrific student loan interview you're required to go through before you get federal loans, but they, they make it their mission to just, like, scare the snot out of you. And I remember just kind of quivering in my chair as they told us that it didn't matter what we do for the rest of their lives, if we took these loans, they would find us, right? Um, There's only one thing that can kind of stop that, that federal loan pursuit from happening. If you die and you get a death certificate, it's kind of over, right? Like when the death certificate's printed, the federal government no longer has its loan powers, There's no provision in the system for what would happen if someone died and got a death certificate and came back the next week, right? Like, the system is not designed for that kind of situation. This is what Paul is saying happens with these powers, these powers of darkness, these forces of evil that are, like, manipulating the world. When you die with Jesus, they lose their grip, and there's no provision for them getting you back. Like, they're just out of the game. The third thing that happens when you're baptized, when you choose to die with Jesus and rise, is something to do with death. According to Paul, death itself only gets to claim you once. Death has one shot at you. Paul says in Romans 6, Christ died to sin once and for all with his death, 
but he lives for God with his life. He died once and for all, but now he lives for God. Death only gets him once. The same is true of you. Those who die with Jesus and those who are raised to new life with Jesus, that second life we're raised into, that's the new permanent one. It's, it's beyond death. It's on the other side of death. Death has no control over that second life. Right? De- death can't threaten that second life. Death only really gets to claim you once. So these are the three concrete things Paul says happens at baptism. You lose your infection, the powers lose their grip, and death can no longer threaten you in the same way. And it's easy to look at these arguments from Paul and think this sounds a little fishy because I know people who've been baptized and they still die and they still screw up, and all of that is true. Um, But I, I think we have to think about the process of what happens from here a little differently because there's a part that happens in the moment and then there's a part that happens over time. Like, there's a moment when we're baptized and we go underwater when that death happens. Like, something, it's not just a symbol, like, something concrete changes. You leave an old self and an old life behind. You come back out of the water new. But the thing about human beings is that every 24 hours, you as a human being lose approximately one million dead skin cells. Every day, a million dead skin cells fall off. I think that the process of kind of coming out of that death and into new life, it's sort of like getting up every day and shedding those dead skin cells, right? It, it takes a lot of shedding. It takes a lot of stripping off of the dead stuff to allow the new stuff to emerge. That's the work of a lifetime. You die in a moment, but it takes a lifetime to kind of let the dead stuff fall off. Or if you prefer another metaphor, you might think of it like this. It's sort of like when, when you die with Jesus and are raised with Jesus, it's like you were in a prison cell and the door gets ripped off. Like, you know, that's another thing too. The prison system can't hold you once you die. Like you were in prison, the door is off. Um, but the rest of your life is a journey of learning to stop sleeping inside the cell. Um, Because so many of us, we get so used to being in there, we get so used to that locked up place that we keep coming back to it and kind of sleeping and locking ourselves inside it when the door is off and we don't even know it's open. The rest of life becomes a journey of learning how to live free. I mean, even this idea of of Jesus challenging death itself, um, baptism, when we go through this act of dying and rising, we come out on the other side of death, death has been overturned, but we have to actually learn to stop living afraid of death. We have to learn over time to shift our mindset to understand the death we face now is, is a kind of temporary problem, but the life we're living, that's a permanent thing. And like living in the real knowledge of that that shift is something it takes time to learn. And Paul says for all of these reasons, in verse 3, Paul says that there's a kind of hiddenness to this. Your your life is hidden with Christ and God. Like it's not obvious just walking down the street who's living their first life and who's living their second life. You can't just tell at a glance. But I think you can tell, if you were to follow someone around for a while, you should be able to tell that there's a difference. That there's a difference between someone who's still living that first life, kind of enslaved to sin, afraid of death, under the control of the powers, and somebody who is now living in the second life, who's learning to live free of fear, to let the false stuff die and the new stuff live, 
to let the addictions go, to let the preoccupation with self go, and to live in a new way. Like that, that difference should be apparent if we have a chance to look a little bit. And I, I just love these first four verses in Colossians 3 we're reading today. I love the imagery in it um, because if you remember last week, we talked a little about what was going on in this community in Colossae, that all of these teachers were coming around telling people they needed to starve themselves and do these elaborate religious rituals so they could ascend up to heaven and have visions and worship with the angels. And Paul says in the beginning of chapter 3 here, hey, there, there's nowhere to ascend because when you were baptized, you made a decision to attach yourself to Jesus. You died with him, you rose with him, and that means that right here, right now, there is some part of you that is already sitting with him right at the right hand of God. Where Jesus goes, you go. Some part of you is already there. You've made what you might call a permanent change of address. You are a resident of heaven, even now. That is your new base of operations. Um, Verse 2, Paul says, think about the things above and not things on earth. Um, Paul is not saying here, like, don't care about your life, don't care about the world, don't care about anyone in it. The opposite of that, what Paul is saying is, your job now is to learn to stop thinking like a resident of earth and start thinking about earth like a resident of heaven. What does it mean to think like a resident of heaven? Well, I I think it it begins with this like visceral kind of conviction, understanding. Myself is cared for. I am secure. Like my life is already today, right here, right now, hidden with Christ and God. Like I am already there. I've already moved in. And if that's true, if I'm already there, if I'm already that connected, then the only question remains is, hey, um, what about other people who are still infected and still afraid? What can I do with my time for them? I mean, this, this to me, this is what real freedom looks like, to, to be so closely bound to Jesus that We are already practically a resident of heaven, and we can just say to ourselves, I'm good. I'm cared for. Like, so so if I'm good and I'm cared for, then how do I pursue heaven's interests here and now? I mean, this is like, it's like a shift of mindset. It's a shift of vantage point. A a life can be saved for $3,000, What do I do with that knowledge if I'm a resident of heaven? I mean, as a resident of heaven, how do I think about the disappointment of a vacation failure? Now, I'm not saying any of this is easy. I don't think it offers easy, quick, cheap answers. But I'm saying this is a whole different vantage point in in where we begin thinking about our experiences, where we begin thinking about our choices. We are now thinking as residents of heaven who are attached to Jesus and lodged at the side of God. That's a whole different viewpoint to start from. It's a whole different position to choose from. I want to throw out just kind of two invitations to us today. Um, The first is to anyone here who hasn't been baptized. 
If you are, if you have never been baptized and you've ever come to a moment where this year I feel like has brought a lot of people to the brink of this moment where you were just like, I've had enough. I've had enough of the mess that is the world. I've had enough of the mess that I'm bringing to it. I mean, Jesus has offered us this chance. You don't have to wait. You can make a choice now to die to the world, to die to the self that you've been in it, the mistakes you've made in it, and to rise up with a brand new, different kind of life. That's what baptism is. If, that's something, if something in that, that invitation to, to die and to start a second life is appealing to you, I'd love to talk to you about baptism. But for those of us here who have already been baptized, a conversation I have with people a lot, I'll often have people come to me at a certain point in their Christian journey and be like, I was baptized, but I didn't really understand what it meant. Right? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that what I was doing was dying and rising. Like, that wasn't on my mind when I was baptized. Um, well, here's the good news. It wasn't on my mind either. Um, but I knew I was choosing Jesus. That's what I understood about baptism. <laughs> like, this, this was a, a choice for a Jesus-centered life. And the good news about choosing Jesus is you don't have to get where he's going to go there. Right? Like, you didn't have to get it for it to take effect. If you knew you were choosing Jesus when you were baptized, then you did die with him and rise with him. So the next move for you, the, the move from here is to say, first of all, like, what are, what are those dead cells that I've been carrying around that it's time to let drop off me? Like, wh- where am I still wearing that old self, that old dead self that died with Jesus that I just need to let go of? And the second invitation to you is the question for you now is if your life is attached to Jesus, if some part of you is already lodged at the right hand of God, then what is the natural next choice for you from there? What, what can you now bring into the world as a result of that security that comes from knowing you are already there? What can you do for the world knowing that your place is that secure? Let's just take a couple minutes and bring those questions into the presence of God. God, there might be some people here today who are saying to themselves, I've had enough. I know the world is screwed up. I know that I'm screwed up. I would give anything for a blank slate for a fresh start. You offer that for real. You offer an invitation to go with you where you have gone to die, to leave the old self, the old life, the old world behind, and to step into something new and powerful. Lord, where we are still carrying around death with us, we take this moment to strip some layers off and lay them down. as much as we can see, as much as we are able and willing. We say to you, take the dead stuff so that the new stuff can emerge.
We thank you also, Lord, that our lives are hidden with Christ in you. That in 